Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Robbie Lorraine, founder and executive chef at the amazing Only Food and Courses in London. Coming up on today's show... Robbie perfectly sums up his career so far. It's been a hell of a journey, a hell of a ride to be quite honest. Phil reveals his true colours, like I'm a proper food porn kind of a guy. And Robbie and Phil do some reminiscing. There's never not a time to grab a greasy spoon bacon sandwich, is there? Exactly. Best hangover cure ever, right? All that and so much more as Robbie talks us through his story of journey to date. A great insight into what's possible when you find your passion with him now producing some of the most innovative and approachable food in London. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in the kitchen and I'm delighted to welcome someone who's had quite a varied career actually, working for some well-known brands such as Rhubarb and SSP Group, which now culminates in him now being the executive chef and founder at Only Food and Courses. And we'll definitely talk about that name in a minute. But welcome to the show, Robbie Lorraine. Hi Phil, thanks for having us on. You're very welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. A little bit chilly at the moment, obviously with the... uh... Downpour of snow, which has been good fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts, where are you based at the moment? Where are you now? I'm based in Ebsley, which is in Kent. It's in between Gravesend and Dartford. Yeah. So it's a new garden city that was has been built, being built over the last 10 years or so. Got you. Have you had, Kent got battered by the snow, didn't it? Yeah, tons of it, which is amazing, actually. It's a, it's a nice uh, light event to the mood. With lockdown and everything else, so the kids have been out in it, snowball fights and uh, building snowmen. So yeah, it's been been much needed, I think. Actually, even though it's freezing, it's uh, it's lightened the mood of everyone in our house. That's for sure. It seems like the same for the whole street, actually. Yeah, well, I, I, and definitely for me as well. I live up by Stansted Airport, and while the world has been rejoicing around having snow. It's basically just rained here all the time. Oh. So um, we've had snow in the last few days. So it, it's been, uh, a, a, as you say, it's lifted the spirits. Yes. Is it, is it, is it a nice fine snow or is it the sludgy stuff? Uh, fine. Really? Fine snow. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, a, it's such a different thing to walk the dog in the snow versus the mud. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine I, that. I just... Not that I'm going to sit here and talk about the weather for, for too much longer, but it just it, it frustrated the hell out of me to even see like the south of Spain getting snow, you know, and I was sat here in the pissing rain. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, we missed it uh, a couple of weeks ago. They'd forecast snow across the whole of Kent and everywhere got it except for us. And right. uh, all of our friends up the road in uh, Greenhive and... Gravesend, they was they was covered in it, absolutely right. covered in it, and look uh, at this we, little pocket. Yeah, didn't get one bit, so it was very nice to wake up and see it um, in the garden. So yeah, it's, it's a nice relief from the stress of lockdown, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway, let's park that. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably enough about the weather. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the name of your company, I absolutely love. Thank you. Where did the inspiration from that? come from well it came from a conversation i was having with a friend so I, i'm born and bred in london grew up in camberwell southeast london moved over to hackney and then moved down to kent two years ago and yep. moving down here i was really keen to kind of get my name out there and uh make a bit of a, a name for myself on the local cooking scene so i decided that once i was settled in here I tried to get out of the bat and, and do some form of pop-ups. So I contacted a friend who, who lives close by down at Gravesend and had a chat with him about it because he'd done a couple of uh, previous pop-ups in local pubs and stuff. So I just wanted to kind of see what he thought the appetite would be for it. And mm. I didn't feel there'd be much of an appetite for, you know, chef, cocktail chef coming down from London doing pop-ups of tasting menus and that. So I really wanted to create something that resonated with people. As we as we started to discuss it, we just randomly got onto Only Fools and Horses and was just talking about, you know, some of the episodes and some of the laughs and some of the memorable episodes that we both remembered. And as, yeah. as we spoke about it more and more, I started to realise how relatable it was to me and, and the things that I value, mainly the, the banter, you know, the kind of family work ethic, you know, you have to graft hard and then you'll get success at the end of it. 
yeah. and I wanted the the pop ups to represent represent that. So it, it was based around the TV show, but it kind of took on a life of its own because, as I say, there was more. The more I thought about it, went back, watched a couple of episodes, and started to realise how it, it it was something that was quite deeply ingrained in me. Because when I was younger, I used to work on a market store with my gran. Um, and it all kind of just started to fall into place, actually, because it was a pop-up and I didn't want it to be a pretentious pop-up. So I wanted it to be clear that, you know, that it's only food, maybe a seven, eight course tasting menu, but at the end of the day, it's only food. And at the end of it, it it's courses. So that's how it kind of come about, just, just very randomly, actually, based off of the conversation my friend and I was having. Superb. No, I, I, it's absolute genius. And I, I even, I mean, your, your tagline's even great. You've you've never seen fine dining like this. <laughs> That's intriguing as well. <laughs> well, it, it's out there to, to whet the appetite because I think a lot of people like the finer things in life. They like to go out and eat in nice restaurants. But I think with fine dining, it became a little bit pretentious. You know, people were a little bit yeah, sure. unsure if they was going to be able to fit into a fine dining restaurant. So I just wanted to make it clear that, you know, it's fine dining food, but, you know, there's no airs and graces about it whatsoever and uh yeah that's that's how it come about and, that, and the more that the kind of idea of the business has evolved it, it's taken on a, a kind of life of its own now which is is pretty good because we get people who are fans of the show and then we get people who are just you know kind of foodies who want to come and see what we're doing yeah brilliant and so uh, where are you currently based when you're allowed to be open so we are based in brixton pop brixton which is uh, a street food outdoor venue, but it has uh, shipping containers that are kind of stacked on top of each other and they have, uh, they've been repurposed to accommodate up to 26 guests. So, uh, yeah, we're in a shipping container in Brixton. Right, well, uh, we'll talk about that again later in the show because obviously want to uh, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. But before you got to here, there's obviously a whole story behind you as to how you ended up doing that in the first place. So take us all the way back to the beginning of your, your career. How did you end up getting into hospitality in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> what questions kick off with? <laughs> yeah. Straight so, in. <laughs> bang. Yeah, I'll go back to the beginning. You know, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey, a hell of a ride to be quite honest. You know, I've done loads throughout my career, but in all honesty, I feel like it's just getting started. So yeah, I'll go way back to actually when I got first and an appetite for hospitality and food is is probably mm from my mum and my grandparents. Uh, I've got a clear memory of my mum taking me to my first restaurant, which was uh, just a little Italian restaurant down in Camberwell. But it was such an event for us, well, for me in particular, that we was was going out somewhere. You know, my mum was uh, very kind of clear on the do's and don'ts when we go out and dine. And it was was such an experience that it's lasted with me. And I think it was probably my first introduction to hospitality and you know we got dressed up we went out you know, on my best p's and q's and you know yeah. the table manner had to be had to be sitting up properly i wasn't allowed to slouch i wasn't it was only a little as i say a little italian restaurant that you know it was just very very basic but just the whole experience of being waited on and people bringing a drink you know i can remember eating my my main course which was uh spaghetti bolognese and it was kind of like right do i take my plates and my knives and forks and to clear it away and my mum was like no 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 just stay there the waiter does that like, oh, okay. <laughs> but oh, it was blowing my mind I was like, oh, this, is, this is amazing you know I've never experienced anything like it um, and that was my first introduction to hospitality and I thought this is this is a really nice thing I really hope that I'm involved in this in, in, in some way but my love of cooking would be from spending time with my nan and my granddad at the weekends I'd normally go over and stay with them and my nan was a fantastic cook. She'd always be in the kitchen, pottering about making lunch, making dinner, making cakes, whatever it would be. And I'd always be hanging about at the dining table, just you know, because the smells were just kind of alluring, and they, they kind of brought me in. Yeah. And I remember just just hanging around. And one Sunday, uh, I've got a very distinct memory of her saying, "Why don't you come in and give me a hand?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to." You know, I was a bit nervous because it's hard oh, in the kitchen with Nan. Don't wanna, I don't want to make any mistakes or mess anything up. <laughs> and we made these really basic rock cakes because we'd always sit down and have a Sunday afternoon tea, with a couple of cakes, a cup of tea, that kind of stuff. And uh, we made more than we needed which was quite unusual because we all liked cake, but there was a few left over. 
So my nan said to me, why don't you take them into school tomorrow and give them away to your friends? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's nice, nan. Thanks. I'd love to do that. I mm. took them in, but me being me, I took them in and I sold them for 50p each. Of course. I was going to say, <laughs> opportunity, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I got such satisfaction from that. Not only that I, I, made, I, I earned a bit of money from it, but also that people was willing to pay money for them. They really enjoyed it. It gave me great satisfaction, which, which made me start to think. I was about 12 at the time, actually. It made me start to think, you know, at that age, you know, thinking, oh, what am I going to do with my older? What, what, what path am I going to follow? And it was probably then that I decided that was my path to take. And uh, at the time, back then, we still had home economics. So I was doing yeah. home economics, which was Jeez. great. You know, they'd give you a recipe card and you just go and crack on with it. And I remember having to make a, a beef burger one day from scratch it was just like oh, this is fantastic at the end of it I've got, I've got a full meal and i've gone through every step that i've followed every step in this recipe and i've created something so i decided then to stay on on sixth form and do hospitality and catering i think it was gmvqs at the time so i stayed on for a couple of years i got my merits in level two and level three but it was very management orientated which was really beneficial when i think back about on it now that, that I learned those skills when I was younger but I had a first for being in the kitchen and I wanted to create more dishes so I decided to pursue it further and I went to Westminster College which was fantastic because it was four days practical one day theory which was right. everything I needed and wanted at the time yeah meeting new people learning new skills and it was very regimented back then you know everyone was still wearing their tall hats your apron had to be a certain level so it had a level of discipline to it that I hadn't really experienced in any environment before which was which was fabulous so I completed that and an opportunity come up with a contract caterer called Aramark I don't know if you're familiar with them they're quite yeah, big, yeah, yeah. big in the US and they was offering me to continue my, my studies on one day college release and it was over in a budget bank over Canary Wharf uh, Credit Suisse First Boston where they had a huge dining area for everybody who worked in the room so I went, I went and done that, I carried on my studies one day a week, which was fantastic. Worked myself around all the, all the sections in the kitchen, which was brilliant. Uh, and then also got put into a couple of different sites. So at the time there was one in Credit Suisse, there was one in Morgan Stanley, there was one in Miura, which was a Japanese bank down St. Paul's. So I carried on working for about four, four or five years. Uh, it was predominantly kind of staff dining, contract catering. So it was high volume, which was great for my speed, uh, but it wasn't very refined. So I carried on doing that for a couple of years, which was great fun. I, I learned a lot about the industry in terms of you know, large-scale food production, which became very beneficial later on in my career. Mm. And then after that, I moved to another bit, but it was in a director's dining uh, format, which is kind of the next step up, if you like, in the corporate catering world, where you're you're just cooking for private dining rooms and small individual lunches. And what I didn't realise at the time was that they had a la carte restaurants in, in these banks, uh, but it was very exclusive, only for the directors. But the food had to be of such a high level because these guys were used to eating at a Michelin-star restaurant. So when they was entertaining guests for lunch, they, they had to have the highest of quality. Yeah, I actually did a, a stint on the other side, as in the uh, front of house, as a general manager of a restaurant associates site in the city. And the director's dinners were the the busiest section of the whole business. Really? There was just, it was like, do these guys do anything <laughs> other than eat. sit and eat? <laughs> Entertain. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's uh Small world, small world. Yeah. I, I actually went on to work for uh, Restaurant Associates Stroke Roo Fine Dining right. in, a, in, a, in another bank. It was called UBS Warboats at the time, down Liverpool Street, which was, which was fantastic. It was some of the best food that I'd ever, ever worked with. And it was, it was a big enough brigade there that, you know, you had time that you, you worked on a section and you had a couple of people on each section. So the brigades were massive. And it was only doing like 30 covers for lunch and then maybe 60 for dinner. And yep. uh, that, that, that led to a lot of competition work because the executive chef at the time was bang on, he was on the competition circuit and he kind of saw my potential, I guess, and he took me under his wing and I had quite a bit of success doing competition. So I've done Hotel Olympia, I won silver medals two years in a row, which was fantastic. And then 
he he was on the culinary Olympic team, which goes out to Erfurt. It was at Erfurt at the time every four years, and the British yeah. culinary team go out there, so they took me out there, and uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, I was, I was learning so much, and I was thoroughly enjoying it. But I was at at the kind of point in my career where I was a chef to party, and I was I was I had a real hunger to progress. I was in my mid twenties, and you know, I knew this was my life. I was going to continue doing it for the rest of my life. So I really wanted to be successful at it. So I started to take on other jobs just to build up my kind of experience. And I ended up doing three jobs. I had my day job, which was nine to five. Then I'd go and work the evenings in local restaurants. And then at the weekends, I'd go and work at Chelsea Football Ground. So it was quite a diverse experience. God, this must be... To to do that, it must have absolutely been a labour of love. <laughs> it was indeed. It was indeed. It was. Uh, I was probably getting I don't know, maybe five hours sleep a night, and just continue. But I just had this thirst for knowledge. I wanted yeah. to know everything I could about it, which I knew would then help me progress in my career. It, it wasn't great for my social life, but yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was great life experience, and I, I'm glad I've done it when I was younger. To be honest with you, because I won't be able to do it now. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You got to take when go with the energy that you've got. Yeah. To uh, and the, I suppose the passion that you clearly had to to want to do that. Then I suppose even on five or six hours sleep, it's not you're not waking up going, "Oh God, another day." to do this yeah it was never like that not once I, I i kind of i woke up in the morning i couldn't wait to get to work i wanted to be the first one in the kitchen and if i could i'd be the last one there because i, I wanted to master everything that i could because as i say i felt that not only was it beneficial for my long-term career but it, it also kept me out of trouble do you know what i mean i just a lot of my friends right. <laughs> were out drinking or they was getting in trouble with the law and stuff like that and it, it kind of gave me something to focus on and yeah, get my team stuck into. Yeah, no, the um, well, the, you're almost like the the David Beckham of the kitchen world, first <laughs> first in and last out. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I can I can actually I can properly see the value in actually the kitchen being a, a bit of a lifesaver for mm-hmm. for a number of people, I suppose, over the the course of time, in the same way that something like boxing is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Everybody uh, slates boxing as being violent, but I guarantee you it saves far more people than it than it doesn't. Exactly that, exactly that. I think it gives a, a real level of discipline and it, it's something I've, I've taken into fatherhood with me, I think, is you know just having that kind of disciplined approach to your day-to-day life yeah. and structure is, is something that I've tried to kind of bring to my fatherhood uh, of being a father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, right. So uh, what happened next? Yeah, so where was I? Um, so, yeah, I was doing three jobs. I was still working in contract catering. And I got a call one day from one of my, my first ever head chef uh, who had taken on a role on the River Thames. And he was overseeing a fleet of luxury cruise boats down the River Thames. And he said, right. oh, I've got a bit of part-time work if you're interested. Would you fancy doing it in the evenings? So I stopped doing the restaurant work and I, I went and done that in the evenings instead, which was which was amazing. It was uh, it was event catering effectively. You, we had there was three boats. Uh, one was capacity of five hundred, one was two hundred, and one was one hundred. So the five hundred was like the central production where you produce all the food, and then you would take a job out of one of the smaller vessels, which was great fun. You know. You, going after work uh, most of my prep had been done I'd take it onto the boat and then I'd go and do the service so it was similar in a sense to, to a restaurant service but it was all the same food so there was a start of main course dessert every everyone on the boat getting the same unless they were vegetarian or they had a dietary requirement and that became a full-time job so I felt like I, I needed to kind of slow down a bit I, I'd recently become a father and I I needed to have a little bit more kind of work-life balance. I, I couldn't carry on doing three jobs because I, was, I had no time for my, my children and my wife. So I yeah. took on the, the, the job on the boat full-time uh, as a sous chef, which was amazing. It, it, it really kind of set my career up. And I'd always had this aspiration to become a head chef before I was 30. I'm in my late 20s now. 
and I was a sous chef, so I was thinking this is still achievable, I've still got the opportunity to do this. Um, and it was all in-house, so it was it's called the Woods Silver Fleet, so it's a family-run business, and they've done everything in-house. But behind the scenes, they just, they decided that they wanted to outsource it to an event caterer who had a lot more kind of clout and could bring in more clients, uh, more established uh, event caterers. And it was rhubarb, at the time it was rhubarb food design. So they took over the whole operation on the, on the boats. And that was a bit of a wake-up question because I hadn't experienced event catering to the level at which they were doing it. it, it right. They were doing all the big venues, all the museums, all the palace gigs and stuff like that. Yeah, well. the, the reputation in that space was uh, certainly at that time was prime. Yes. And they had such a great infrastructure. And what what... I learned the most from working with Rhubarb was the whole food design aspect of it. Whereas, you know, working in restaurants and in the corporate world and that, it was all about, you know, being really, really refined. But Rhubarb looked at it from a sense that it was also uh, the aesthetics of an event that they, they focused on and they wanted to make make it a, an experience rather than just it's just a dinner. You know, they wanted people to have a whole experience. And I love that. So I, I ended up working on the boats and by the time I was 29, they'd recognised my passion and my commitment and I became the head chef. So I took over all three boats and I was running the whole operation, which was... Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I you know, achieved one of my biggest ambitions. And it was yeah. a bit like, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> I don't know where else is... Right. <laughs> need, need new goals. New yeah, goals. yeah, I needed to come up with some new ones. But at the time, Rhubarb were growing rapidly. They was taking on venues all over the city. So it was great to be able to grow within that company. I went out on a lot of the big events and I worked in a lot of their restaurants that they established. There was one in the Saatchi Gallery. There was one in Phoenix. And that was amazing. Then they fell out with, with the owners of the boats, the Woods family, for whatever reason it was. And yeah. uh, they parted company. So by this time, I'd been working on the boats for seven years, part-time and full-time. And I, I was, as I say, I'm like, what do I do now? You know, do I carry on? Am I going to be a lifer working on the boats? And I'm more ambitious than that. So I needed to, I needed to change. And Rhubarb were keen for me to, to stick with them. So they offered me a few opportunities, which didn't really float my boat. And then they, they spoke to me about one, which I was really keen on. And it was uh, London City Airport. They won the, the contract for London City Airport. And I was like, I was living in Hackney at the time, so I wasn't far from it. Mm. And I thought that would be quite an interesting challenge to go down there and try to rejuvenate airport food because airport food's got such a bad reputation. And I felt like yeah. I had to go down and really put my mark on it. So I took the role. It's, it's try, doesn't it? It's well, it's trying, and and actually, it, it does feel like airport food these days. The the selection is is much better than it, it used to be. Like it used to literally just be a kind of, kind of McDonald's or Pret type yeah. scenario, didn't it? Yeah. But I see more and more, you know, actual restaurants. Yes. Uh, and I'm not even talking about branded, but, you know, you get the odd independent in there as well. And you think, well, why not, right? Absolutely. Other than the fact that the rents must be crippling. <laughs> yeah, they, they are pretty, pretty chunky. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I saw it as a great opportunity to... to to go and experience what it's like to work in an airport. And as you say, there were some big names getting in it at the time. Jamie Oliver had opened down at Heathrow. Gordon Ramsay was doing his, his plane food. Yeah, there were some big names getting in it. And I thought, well, mm. I can't let like, Robbie Lorraine go down there and see what it's all about. And uh, it, it turned out that Rhubarb wasn't running the whole operation, which I, I first thought it was that they was opening a franchise restaurant in the airport for a bigger company called SSP, Select Service Partners. Yeah. And they are globally massive. I think employers like 100 million worldwide they're in absolutely every airport train Jeez. station around yeah. the world and, and they're, they're they're huge so i was taking on the chef the, the role of head chef for the whole airport and i was overseeing two restaurants one for rhubarb and one over out for ssp two sandwich bars and another franchise coffee shop for illy experimento so it's a much bigger role than i'd ever anticipated i was used to managing brigades of 10 or 12 when I turned up uh, at London City Airport, I had a brigade of 14. So I was like, okay, this is this is going to be a challenge. But yeah, yeah. why not? Let's, let's get stuck into it. But that's, I mean, that is a big lift, right? In brigade terms. Absolutely. It's massive. So I, I'm guessing that, that that tested a different type, a different side of you. 
exactly that. It, it was more operational stroke, managerial stroke, strategic, because coordinating the logistics of it all is something. At first, it took me probably three months to get my head around it because there was a central production kitchen that produced the food for all five outlets. But this central production kitchen was off-site, so it's over in the car park. So you had to, throughout the night, make sure that there was a consistent flow of production for it to be over into the terminal for five o'clock when the cafes opened and the restaurants opened and everything else. So, yeah. Nobody uh, ever sees that, do they? Exactly. <laughs> Nobody sees the, the, the crap you have to deal with behind the scenes to, to get it out front. Exactly. And, and leading a team of 40 is, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's huge in itself. You know, I, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good one-to-one manager. But when you've got 40 people to manage one-to-one, it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. But that was a, it was a really good experience. I learned a lot from that. I had gathered so many skills in large-scale food production earlier in the contract catering. So that was, that was fine. That was all covered. But as I say, managing such a large brigade and having the logistical challenges of moving things from unit to unit and making sure that everything was on. But I, I had a good tenure there. I, I left there after three years and the reason I left was because I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore and uh, right. I established I reopened both of the restaurants one was Rhubarb uh, rebranded the other one called The City and I had free reign in this, the City restaurant of my food of how I wanted it to be which was brilliant because in, in the airports it's a really short dwell time especially London City Airport if someone's going through London City Airport they, they pride themselves on from the car park on your flight within 45 minutes so you have to be able to do your deliver your service for each check in the restaurant within seven minutes wow. and when you're trying to do refined foods <laughs> in yeah. seven minutes you know it, it comes with i can't tell you how many challenges but it's a little bit of a test it was a test it was yeah. a test but we were we've done a, a, a very good job it ended up in a few nominations for some awards in the Fab Awards, the restaurant got uh, nominated for the best chef-led restaurant. Unfortunately, didn't win, but you know, being being acknowledged like that and being in that category, I felt like it was a real sense of achievement. Uh, yeah, you're def- definitely on the right path, right? Absolutely. Forbes, Forbes named the City Bar as one of its top five bars in the world, which was again felt like another real milestone and the food that we was delivering you know we was doing four course tasting menus in, in 20 minutes and the price points <laughs> were pretty chunky yeah. the price points were pretty chunky because you know obviously the, the people who travel through London City Apple are normally all on expenses so <laughs> they don't yeah. mind how much they spend and uh, yeah it was, a, it was it was a good experience of large scale operational kind of and logistics for myself uh, which was yeah. which was amazing but then, yeah, as I say, after three years, decided to move on. I uh, learned quite a few lessons lessons about myself and how I am as a, as a chef and as a person, actually, uh, away from that one. It, it was it was an experience, but there's a lot of people who have worked there for a long period of time, and it, it becomes quite a negative environment. You know, you're working with people who have been there for 20 years or 10 years or five years. Right. And I just, yeah, it was just time for a change. So... Uh, kind of weighed up my options and was like what I wanted to do. Where I'd spent a lot of time working for big corporate companies, I felt like I wanted to move into a smaller operation and work with a owner-led business. That's what I did. Right. So I joined a business called Grazing Food, which are corporate and event caterers, but they're very small. When I joined, they were a very small business. It was based in Monument, down in the city of London. Yeah. Um, so it was good to get back over there, but the production kitchen was it was in old London. It was the next the next road to Pudding Lane, where the Great Fire of London started. So it was it was quite a decrepit kitchen. It was in a basement. It was damp. It was cold, and it was just it was just a bit of a rude awakening actually from from working in a huge uh, production kitchen to working in a small little kitchen was was a bit of a rude awakening but it was it was a challenge and that that's what i was looking for and i wanted to be able to take it to the next level in its journey you've got two choices there haven't you really is that you kind of grumble and moan about conditions based around what you're used to or you just think right well 
we're here now. This is this is the life, and and we've we can affect how this moves forward. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah. And I I chose the latter because that's, that's what I'm all about. Is you know, there's no point in seeing the negatives. You need, you need to see the positives and the potential in it as well. That's your actually your uh, ethos on your Instagram page, if I recall correctly. You've got a a line on there about always forward never back that's right <laughs> love it absolutely love it thank you thank you <laughs> and, and that's what it was all about it was about pushing the business forward and it had it, only been going for six years but it was at the point where they'd grown rapidly in the previous two years and it was at the point where it was at a breaking point in a sense so they'd almost outgrown the kitchen so that was a real journey because we obviously had to find a new a new space for the kitchen because it just got cope it was it was busting at the seams because of the volume of business that had been picked up they couldn't could physically do any more out of the small little kitchen in, in monument so after right. six months of working there and it almost uh, running me into the ground because it was just i had to make it work we, we found another space over in bermondsey after looking about for three months, we, we found a new production kitchen, which was a complete shell at the time. It was two railway arches over in Bermondsey and designed the kitchen, fitted the kitchen out, and moved the whole business from Monument over to Bermondsey in the space of a weekend, which was great fun. <laughs> it, it, it was a three-month <laughs> yeah. into building the kitchen and designing the kitchen everything else. But everything else, because we didn't start the business, we just, one weekend, we just picked up everything we needed shifted it over and it reopened on the Monday, which was amazing. It was one of the best times of my life, actually, because you're just so caught up in it all and not allowing it or not wanting to allow it to, to foul. You just, you're firing on extra cylinders that you don't even know you have. Yeah. So, yeah, we moved over there and that grew our capacity by 60%. It must have been quite motivating as well, though, right, to have input into the kitchen in terms of what what you need to you know, really grow upwards absolutely i think it's every chef's dream to be able to design the kitchen exactly how they want it and after yeah. working in so many different ones and bad ones you always make these mental notes of oh when i've got my own kitchen i'll put this here i'll have that there after but having said that i still there was still a few things after we was open i thought oh, i should have put that there oh, i forgot about that but yeah it's just natural isn't it <laughs> yeah so anyway we got in, we got into there um and uh we had two production kitchens one was cold production which was for sandwiches and stuff like that. And then there was hot production as well. Uh, the business had three divisions to it. One was a delivery service of sandwich platters and stuff to a lot of corporate clients. Then there was a B&I division, which was the contract catering, which we created a bit of a niche for there because it was uh, we treated it like events. So we created a pay-as-you-go model where you could order for one day or you could you could sign up to a year's contract. It was completely flexible. And then the third part of it was event catering. So it was it was great because it kind of encompassed all of the skills that I'd, I'd learned throughout my career to that point. Right. So uh, I've done that for five years. I worked my way up. I was director of food and then in the end I was director of food and operations. But when you find yourself yourself in a position like that it, it was starting to remove me from the reasons why i'd got into it in the first place right and i, I decided I, I just i wanted to do my own thing I, I kind of sat on the board of directors which was fantastic but when a business starts going in a direction that you don't feel is the direction you want to go in it's normally time to kind of wrap things up uh, but it was a really successful year I picked up quite a few awards in the time that I was there, which was great for your ego and <laughs> your profile. Yeah. And then when was that? The end of 2019, I decided to to move on and do my own thing. And yeah. And here we so are. I only food and courses. <laughs> I don't yeah, know consultancy work in between just to give me time to find the, the concept. And uh, yeah, this year, that was a, that was a long version of that story actually was <laughs> no that's cool the I, I suppose the big question is this obviously you probably didn't see what march 2020 was going to have in store for you when you you made that leap but how have you how have you found that managing that process as a as a business owner it, it, it's not as bad as it's been for a lot of established businesses actually because we're we're startup we're a startup business and we started yeah. in the early part of 2020 
it hasn't been that bad, to be honest, because the idea was about doing the pop-ups and that, and all, all that it done was it delayed the pop-ups and it delayed the restaurant opening. Apart from that, it's been it's been pretty good, to be honest with you, because it's give us, given us a, an opportunity to be able to refine the whole concept, be very clear about what our strategy is to get the business to market. And I think if 2020 wouldn't have happened in terms of COVID, we'd have just been, and I see this quite often in a lot of businesses, we'd be chasing our towels. You know, you, you're kind of in such a rush to get everything open, get everything done and that. You've missed some of the, the minutiae and some of the detail. Yeah. COVID actually gave us an opportunity to really drill down into that and, and better prepare for it. So, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad. I, I felt the most creative during the first, first lockdown than I have done in, in all my life. And it's probably because I didn't have the day-to-day kind of brain cloud you get from, from working full-time. So, uh, yeah. It, it hasn't been, it's been slightly frustrating, I, I won't lie. But at the same time, it, I think it will benefit the business in the long run. Yeah, I think there, there's probably a lot of circumstances whereby, yeah, I mean, like, no getting away from it. Some businesses are in a lot of trouble and won't make it, and that's that's heartbreaking. But for, for those who can ride it out, as it were, I think there's there's probably a lot of reset buttons being pressed on business overall in terms of where are we really going the direction that we wanted to did we have everything in place to make us you know truly successful and and that's a wonderful opportunity in this time mm-hmm. absolutely because it's the benefit of time right that's what's what we've all got to kind of figure everything out yeah you know there's so many times in our lives that we're always putting things on the back burner because we haven't got the time or that's always like the kind of go-to excuse oh, i just ain't got time to do it but now we have had that time to get all of these things in line and we're ducks in a row. Yeah. For me, as a small business owner, I, I can only see the benefits of this. The only real impact it has is that we've lost a little bit of momentum because we were built, building uh, quite steadily. And this, this third lockdown has really kind of killed the momentum. But that's no great shape. You know, once this is over, it feels like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. We'll yeah. go again and uh, we'll build it back up. I'll wait to hit the ground running. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet. I mean, I'm, I'm no specialist or the the voice on the food industry here at all, but I would imagine that your concept plays right into the hands of what people are going to be looking for when when they get out of this, because it sounds like it's accessible, but it's also a a bit of an experience, and you know your your price points not off the charts, so. You know, these are the things that I think people are going to be going nuts for experiences uh, because they've just not been able to have them for a year. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I feel pretty confident about it actually because a big part of our kind of ethos is about kind of recreating memories of yesteryear and that sense of nostalgia and comfort, you know, feeling like you're, you're somewhere that's kind of familiar, yeah. you know, the restaurant kind of layout, while it's only small because it's in a shipping container, its uh, interior is based off of a greasy spoon calf. Right. Everyone knows and loves a greasy spoon calf, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's never not a time to grab a greasy spoon bacon sandwich, is it? Exactly. The yeah. best hangover cure ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we feel that there will be a good uptake for it and because we're not pretentious in any way about our food and where we're delivering it to and it's a great urban location the Popperson and you know it's got a lot of the kind of people who like to eat out and have those dining experiences in in that local area we're hoping that everyone's so kind of pent up and want to get out and enjoy some kind of social activities that we'll see a good uptake in the in the coming months yeah yeah so is that is the the restaurant your your core business and the pop ups kind of add value to that or how does it how does it work? Yeah, so we're effectively a restaurant and pop up events business. So yeah, we are we are a restaurant business, but we we will continue to do pop ups around the country. But our, our focus at the moment is establishing a Pop Brixton site, and then we're going to be looking to the high street to kind of take on a few. Local restaurants, you know, we'd like them to be community restaurants where people in the local community feel that they want to go out and eat in. We've seen yep. quite a few sites actually in London and 
weekend just before the second lockdown, which we're keen on. And if there's an appetite for it, you know, we'll pursue those. We don't want to be a restaurant chain, though. We don't want to be like Jamie's or anything like that. We want to have little neighbourhood restaurants that the local community can support and go out to. And we've got big plans for the other parts of the business, which are around event catering, but not like rhubarb. We want to do more kind of pop-ups in different people's events. So we may be kind of subcontracted to go and do one of our pop-up events for another caterer. And we'll do the, the, the pop-ups, but not in the way we've done them. Because they were quite small. The ones we've done in Kent were like 30 to 40 covers and they were tasting menus. We're right. thinking more along the lines of pop-up kind of food stalls and stuff like that. The um, the one thing that I, I absolutely love about, and I would encourage anybody who is a foodie to follow you on Instagram because your um, your food just looks like I'm a proper food porn kind of a guy. <laughs> and um, that I think it was actually, it was your, your Bakewell tart with that had a, that's got beetroot in it. Yes, yes. I remember seeing that and thinking, why am I not having a podcast chat with this guy? <laughs> food looks incredible. Thanks, thanks. Really appreciate that. Funny enough, I'm, I've got 100 portions of uh, Bakewell tart ordered in for Valentine's Day. So I'm going to be working on a load of those, a load of those over the next couple of days. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's music to my ears. I love the fact that people look at my food and they kind of, it whets their appetite to come and taste it. And, you know, my food's all about kind of 80s and 90s retro nostalgic kind of food, but done in a modern interpretation. And, you know, it's those childhood experiences that, that have kind of led me down that path and got a bit of a wild imagination. And uh, yeah. I want to recreate things in, in the way I want to eat them. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's one of my favourite desserts, Bakewell tart, but I just thought, oh, who wants to go out and eat just a Bakewell tart? Just juice it up a bit with a bit of beetroot in it. Yeah, well, I, I also think that you're you're right on point at the moment in terms of, because it's these sort of combinations that I think spark the interest. Like you're thinking, oh, I, I have no idea if that'll work, but I want to go find out. <laughs> and, you know, the uh, you know chef Tommy Banks. Yep. I think he's a massive exponent of throwing vegetables into sweets yeah. and foods. And I just think it, it works. If you know your flavors, you kind of, you know, you know that these things are, are well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put out a dish of food that wasn't going to work, would you, at the end True. of the day? True. Yeah, these are ideas. A lot, a lot of my dishes are, are ideas. It's almost like, I think about this actually quite a lot, is that it's almost like you hear about like music artists when they do their first album had all these ideas throughout their life and that they brought them all into their first album. Yeah. And then they have a kind of second album syndrome. I don't think that I'll go down that route. But you know, all the ideas that I've kind of generated throughout my career and always thought that I've got my own place, I'm gonna do this when I've got my own business. I've kind of put them all out there for uh, only food and courses. But what I'm finding is is that where I'm more hands on now because you know, I'm a founder and I'm a chef at the same time. Just generating more and more ideas because you know it, it, it kind of works like that when you're being creative i find is that the more you start to do something and start to re-engage with something the more the creativity starts to flow and i'm finding that during this lockdown actually the, the first couple of weeks were quite tough because as i say i feel like i lost momentum but the creative yeah. creative spark in my mind now is starting to kick back in and uh yeah i'm really excited to to reopen and show people what i've got plan for the next uh for the coming year yeah well you can count on my attendance that's for sure Good man. Good <laughs> yeah, yeah. Down, I'll, I'll bring the wife and she's a massive foodie as well so we'll we'll definitely uh take that in for sure Amazing. what i mean you're you're the next year i guess is all about getting reopened and and cracking on but do you have any any specialist plans around that or is it just about just let's get going it's just about establishing uh, the site in Brixton towards the end of the year. Can't really go into too much detail. There, we have got a couple of things coming up. But I can't really go into that now. So for the next yep. nine months or so, it'll just be full focus on uh, establishing Brixton and, and only food and courses in all its iterations. So I'm going to be working really hard on new dishes, making sure that we're, we're consistent in everything we do. And then at, towards the end of the year, you'll probably hear a lot more about the other other bits that we've been working on yeah 
Well, I, I'm just going to sow a seed that um, the area I live in, Bishop Stortford, is a massive up-and-coming town with a, an increasing footfall. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a note of that, and uh, yeah. hopefully we can, we can come and have a look down there. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, well, what would you say to somebody who was considering a, a career in hospitality? I would say that it's a very rewarding career to pursue. However, you, you need to be committed and you need to give it a little run out first because it's not for everybody. Not everybody has got the memories to, to, to last in this industry. There's a lot of people that I went to college with and I know from early on in my career that have pursued different paths um, later on in their life because they, it just wasn't for them. So I, yeah. I, I tell anyone to be 100% committed to it. it, it I remember when I was at college and our lecturers always used to say to us is that there's no real social life <laughs> attached to it because you are creating the experiences for people in their social environment. So you lose a big chunk of that uh, in the earlier parts of your life. But mm. you know, it is such a rewarding career and the satisfaction that you'll be able to take away from making someone happy through whether it be service or cooking a dish and letting them enjoy the fruits of your labor is you know you can't i can't put that into words actually but that's where i've got my greatest satisfaction from is you know when someone's telling me look i've looked at this is beautiful i've tasted this absolutely amazing you get a real sense of satisfaction from that and i think nowadays it's not as underpaid as it was you know there is there is a career and you can be very successful in this you know i, I would never have assumed when i started out in it that I'd, i've been able to achieve the things i have and live the life that i do you know i, I grew up on a council estate and now i live in the suburbs of kent which is which is great and i didn't at the time think that i'd be able to achieve that but right nowadays it, it's not as it's not as bad as it once was it, it's a lot more appealing in a sense, should I say? Yeah, financially. Yeah, and I think equally as well that the the things that the historically the industry has been marked with around the hours that you work and your work life balance and the stress and and all of these things these things are are being dealt with head on. Yeah, you know they they I think we always talk about this with people. I'm in in my forties now, and the amount of hours I used to pump into this job. When I, I first started out, I used to, you know, now I I ask the question of myself was was I the stupid one for not questioning it, <laughs> you know? But you kind of get on. I I was loving what I was doing, so it didn't feel like work. And I think that's half the battle is making sure that it really does sort of sing to you in some way. What I really love about your journey is is that all the way through there, there was this overriding theme that you you seem to have the ability to see the good side of whatever you've been kind of thrust into so even you know moving from a, a sort of well-oiled machine into into the, the the dark and dingy kitchen of a startup company or certainly a new company you know you can even see the the fact that right there's a benefit to me for being here and kind of dealing with this and I think a lot of people jump ship too quickly before they've really figured out the good reasons why you're why you're in somewhere very true yeah very true i've got to agree more actually that, that, that's a good overview of it um, but that's that's always a you're a product of your environment right so if you're surrounded true. by negative people you'll have no problem seeing the negative yes but uh, if you've got good positive people around you then you know that that keeps i think keeps your your brain focusing on the good stuff absolutely and you meet so many varied people in, in the hospitality industry and uh, there's a great camaraderie running yep. throughout, um, you know, whether it's front of house, back of house, or all together, you, you'll meet amazing people from all different walks of life. And you'll learn from those people, uh, a little something from, from every single one of them. As you say, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll come across the few bad eggs and, and a few negative people, but they're far outweighed by the, the, the positives and uh, the great people that you're going to meet. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great stuff. Right. Well, if, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing, what are the best methods for them to do that? Yeah. So 
I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, and my handles for both of those is Robbie underscore Lorraine. Go on there and DM me if you've got any interest or any inquiries. I'm obviously uh, Only Food and Courses, Robbie at Only Food and Courses. You also find me on LinkedIn as well. But yeah, it would be great to hear from anyone who, who had any inquiries or was keen to come and join us on our journey. Uh, they're, the, they're the places I'm most active, actually, is, is Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. But as I say, my, my email address, if, if anyone wants to reach out, is uh, robbie at onlyfoodandcourses.co.uk. Give me a shout and uh, let's have a conversation. Splendid. Yeah, well, I'd, I also need to send a massive shout out to Magella O'Connell, who um, is probably responsible for why I was introduced to your food in the first place because she runs her little foodie zooms. Yeah. And she very kindly invited me on as a an ex guest on the show. Yeah. So just to second that as well, um, as we were just saying there about the people that you'll meet across the journey, Margella is uh, one of the most amazing people I've met throughout my journey, and her business that she runs, the London Kitchen Social, has been mm. such a hotbed of activity and meeting fantastic people in this industry. Um, I've collaborated with people that I've met there. I've done many events with Margiela. And that that is a great example of, of what the positives about this industry are. Because when yeah. I met Margiela, it was, I can't remember where it was. I was, doing a, I was doing a competition, actually. And we'd been mates on social media for ages, just, just talking that. And then when we actually met, I didn't realise that Margiela was Pavlova and Cream. And then we met again. And she was like, come to my, my event. You'll love it. Um, which is London Kitchen Social. And I, I'll never forget, actually, because I thought, oh, it might be a bit pretentious. Chefs can be a bit stuffy sometimes. And I walked in and everyone was just so just so friendly and accommodating. You know, Madge was like, really kind of like, you're right, this is really working. And uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that, that I met Margiela. And yeah. say, you and I wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't for Margiela. At all. <laughs> but this, that to me is the wonderful thing about just general networking, right? I mean, you, you do get in front of some really interesting people and I you know if I hadn't started the podcast I would never have probably met Magella and then therefore not you and mm. it's it's just it's it's the the rich tapestry of life that's what <laughs> I call it something Brilliant. like that um but uh, no she very kindly she's she has invited me along to whenever we're allowed to do you know proper events without social distancing and things like that to one of her London kitchen socials so Hopefully I'll, I'll meet you there, but I, I think I'll I'll definitely be down to your uh, your restaurant before then. In any case, brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to see you down there. And yeah, I, I'd I'd uh, bite my jealous hand off to to attend one of those events because they're quite hot property now. Uh, there's a lot of people. There's quite a waiting list as as far as I know, wanting to go to them. And uh, right. as soon as you get the opportunity, mate, get over there because uh, you won't regret it. You'll meet some fantastic people, and Margiela's an amazing host. Yeah, and to be clear. I won't be cooking. <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> Fair enough. You can just get to taste the fruits of everyone's labour. Yeah, no, exactly. Totally. Sounds sounds like a winner for me, for sure. Great stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing your story. I've really enjoyed that. that type of, I can't believe an hour has gone by just like that. And um, I wish you all the very best in the next phase and get open and, and get cracking on. Cheers, Phil. I've really enjoyed that as well. I hope I didn't waffle on too much. And uh... <laughs> No, perfect. <laughs> Thanks nice for having one. us. Take care. No worries. Cheers. Cheers. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye. And there we have it. A really incredible career so far from Robbie, having worked in such an amazing array of places. Get yourself booked in for his incredible six-course tasting menu at Pop Brixton. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.